Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Hello, friends. This is episode 43 of The Drunk Web. Um, I want to first of all say thank you to Diana Gaona, I think. Uh, I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing your last name for becoming a patron. Nice to see support from a fellow New Yorker. Uh, your sticker should be on its way. I believe at this point the uh, pandemic has become the norm. Uh, so I am still away from my home studio, uh, away from my regular equipment. So for the time being, you're going to have to bear with this low quality audio, although it's not that bad. It's uh, I was using a microphone that was a little bit nicer than the average microphone, but turns out the iPhone 11 microphone is just as good, if not a little bit better. Funny, huh? Uh, anyway, today uh, I'm going to obviously do a solo one uh, because, again, I am away from all people that I know back home in New York. So uh, today there's a concept that I want to talk about uh, that is uh, very close to my heart. Uh, so one advice I always give to young developers is master the basics. I'm kind of, I think maybe I'm a little bit known for that, uh, that the basics are are very, very important. But when do you know that you've mastered something or the, uh, the basics of something? You know, recently someone asked me, how well do I need to know something, a programming concept? Uh, when do I know I'm done and I can move on? You know, this is someone I'm starting to mentor and help them move over from back end to front end. Uh, so you would think there's a lot of adjustments they have to make, but really, no. I mean, the, the concepts are are very similar. In fact, if you're shifting your focus from, say, one technology to another, I would argue that it's more important then and there to focus on uh, these global fundamentals than uh, than any other time. So uh, I want to talk about a concept that has completely shifted the direction of my life, the way I approach my work. And in a lot of ways, it has dictated what I do and what I don't do in my professional life. And it's a simple concept. It's what I call the why of programming. As you know, I'm involved with teaching with Color Code. I'm always thinking about my next video, what to teach next, what to talk about next. Uh, I try to record this podcast as often as I can. And even though it's less direct coding tutorials, I'd like to think that it provides some level of instructional or educational information for my audience, for you. I also have a pretty extensive backlog of articles and videos I maintain and go through to educate myself so I have something to talk about so I know well, what's going on with the industry and stay relevant and you know uh, all the other obvious personal benefits. Um, we are blessed and to some degree spoiled with so much of everything in our world during our time at least for now before corona kills everyone. <laughs> JK. And uh, educational material is no exception. So you could spend every minute of every hour of every day left in your life and read about cabbage. And there would still be videos on cabbage on YouTube that you haven't seen yet. Uh, it's pretty crazy. Uh, but with that amount of content, you know, when you're learning stuff, um, <clears throat> comes a lot of bad content too, I would argue. Maybe I shouldn't say bad, but like suboptimal. So when we have a world a system where anyone can be a publisher, 
not every publication is going to be great. It just can't. The huge number of resources, it just means that anyone looking for tutorials on, say, I don't know, Vuex, they're going to have to filter through the bad and the good to find what they're looking for, right? The onus is on you. The onus is on them. And the problem with that system is that if you knew what's good and what's bad, then you probably wouldn't need the material in the first place. So the whole point is that you don't know. So how do you find the good stuff? You can ask your friend, hey, do you have any recommendations? You can find curated lists on, you know, other people have put together Reddit, Medium, and all that stuff. And that works to an extent, but not really. I mean, a lot of times this isn't even a question of good versus bad. It's more, I think it's a little more complicated than that. What someone else finds helpful may not necessarily be as helpful to you. So even though I thought that I don't think it's a question of good and bad, I think we can turn it into that. I think we can define things that are universally good and helpful uh, when learning something and things that aren't. And if we do that, that will make identifying the good things easier, no matter the subject, front end, back end, whatever. Um, but I don't think it will happen by itself. I think it needs to be an intentional move on your part to define what is good and what is a waste of time. And that's the concept I want to talk about today. I apply this rule to all educational material I consume. I'm actually very judgmental on, um, uh, you know, I, there's a very quick response from on my end when I see something or read something or watch something. I apply this rule all the time. And, and also when I create, when I put material out there, although I don't always succeed, but I, I, I try to apply this rule. And that is the why of programming. If you listen to the last episode, I talked about my journey of learning algorithms. Uh, I brought up the issue that I had with a lot of resources I watched and read, which was that the material made a lot of sense. You get the concept explained to you. Let's say linked lists. I brought that example up. Great. It's a set of nodes. Each has a value and a link to another node. Fantastic. I get it. Um, here are the methods that a linked list would have. Awesome. Those make sense. Uh, and if I tried really hard, I might even be able to memorize them or at least most of them. It's a useless practice, but makes you feel like you know a lot and makes you look good in an interview. So, but what does that mean in the long term? Like, does that mean you mastered linked list now? Um, to an extent that depends on your definition of mastery. I, I would argue no. I would argue that you at this point have understood what they are and maybe you even understood how they work using those methods. But you haven't discussed, we haven't discussed the why. And that is a big problem. It's like giving someone a hammer and showing them how to nail something to a piece of wood. You're assuming they'll figure out that they can nail other things to other surfaces, say a picture to a wall. But again, you are making a big assumption there. Uh, you're assuming they'll figure that part out themselves. And the example of the picture on the wall is, is a lot easier to assume than some programming concept that you haven't really uh, seen before, especially if you didn't 
study computer science. It's, to me, it's a big, big assumption. And so I always think it doesn't really have to be that way. You can instead start with the problem of hanging pictures and then introduce the tool, the hammer and the nail and whatever else is involved. In our case, the tool is a linked list, but we haven't talked about the reason why you would need one. So we don't get the usefulness of them. And it's really not fair to the tool itself either. At that point, I would argue that you are not done with your education of linked lists. So let me go back a few years, I think about eight or nine years ago, someone asked me at a job interview to explain closures, JavaScript closures. I bombed. I didn't know how to intelligently talk about them because I never really had to. And honestly, that was kind of an excuse in my own head that, hey, I never had to explain these. So why? What's going on here? Uh, the truth was, I didn't really know. So, uh, you know, if I had to be honest with myself, I didn't really know what closures were. I mean, I, I kind of knew, but I didn't really. So I made it my my mission to figure out closures. And I've been a little bit spoiled with having great interviews so far in my career. So not knowing something really meant so much to me. I'm like, oh my God, what is, you could not know an answer to... Uh, a question on an interview. What does this mean? What is this feeling? <laughs> so I spent the better part of the year uh, studying JavaScript basics. I went back and when I got to closures, they just did not make any sense. Closures are by far one of the hardest things to understand and explain in JavaScript but not because they're complicated, but because most explanations are so abstract and theoretical that they, you end up missing the, the point. And I think as an industry, we are in the habit of these abstract models. And sometimes we forget that no, like practicality is important. Um, Okay, so you want to know closures, I, I can explain them to you in 10 seconds. And uh, that should be enough because, uh, you know, having the uh, having the description should, should be enough according to many, many resources. So a function inside another function that has access to variables defined in the outer function. So basically all functions in JavaScript, right? So we're done. That's it. That is the closure description as as well as I can explain it. So that is it as far as most resources are concerned, they have taught you the idea of closures. See, I know what those words mean. And I think I know what those, you know, individual words in English mean. And that, that sentence I even mean, okay, well, those two two functions, I, I get that. But like, what, what are we at? What? No, there's there's a lot that still doesn't sink in. So Let's let's tear it apart a little bit. Okay, I have a function declared inside another function, and it can reach the variables that were defined in the scope of the outer function. Now, does that mean I know closures now? Not yet. Not until I understand why we're even talking about this idea. Not until I see an example. Am I crazy? So... The idea of a function inside another function makes sense, but 
why we ended up where we ended up does not, unless someone explicitly talks about it. So examples can be deceiving too, right? You have good examples and and you have, uh, I just did my part just to be done with this part examples, right? I'm not talking about looking at an outer function and an inner function. uh, So you can console log the variables of the outer function inside the inner one. That's not an example. That doesn't add anything to the conversation. That's just seeing the code version of the English sentence I just said, right? It has no added value. It has no nutritional value. It's empty calories. I mean, examples of why you would even want to do this in the first place, right? That's what we need. Why would two functions interact with each other in this way be useful to us? Let's cut the crap, right? Let's let's get to the point. That will, if you go through that exercise, that will reveal the why to you. So back to the interview process. I went back a year later and interviewed at a different place, and I was I was so hoping that this guy would ask me about closures, and he did. And I was like, oh, ho, ho, I I got this right. I can I I can answer this. So I thickened my voice and I gave him my perfect definition of JavaScript closures. And he was like, cool, all right, right on. Uh, Where would you use one? And I got stuck again. And so (laughs) clearly I wasn't done with my education of closures. So I spent a lot of time looking at fancy resources. I ended up paying for for things, for books and uh, online books. uh, To me, like actual books for programming never really made a ton of sense to me. I, my brain just doesn't work that way. But I ended up paying for uh, resources where I would read and watch, looking at examples, but, but they all led to the same pointless raw example. And that taught me nothing beyond what I already knew. Until one day, I realized the good old MDN, Mozilla's documentation, um, had the best example of closures right there. Someone must have gone through the same painful process looking for uh, meaning in these abstract words and ideas and documented what they had found on MDN's webpage. The example they have on there, and I really encourage you to, to look it up, is with button clicks. So they attach click handlers to buttons. So you have three buttons and each of them changes the font size of the page to a particular size. So say 12, 14, 16, so three buttons. Instead of writing that logic uh, of the DOM API where you uh, find the CSS property and uh, well, first you have to find the uh, element and then uh, find the styles and then the property and then set it to a certain uh, pixel amount. Uh, Instead of writing that logic three times with just the size being different, for those three buttons, they write it once in a closure and pass the font size into the outer function. That way the inner function has access to the particular size that was passed in for that instance, right? So the outer function returns the inner function, the closure, and the inner function maintains the size it was given uh, through uh, the outer function, right? So Bit by bit, all three functions are the same. They all act slightly differently because the variable in the outer function was different for each of them during the creation of the inner function, right? 
um, aka they hold on to the value for the duration of their existence, aka the inner function has access to the variables defined on the outer function, aka closures. So I know it could be a little confusing uh, because you're just listening to someone talk about code. Uh, it will help to see it. So I recommend you Google closures MDN uh, and see the code for yourself. I'll put a link in the episode description too. Uh, but ask yourself when presented with a new idea, do I know why are we doing this? All right? Not the solution, not what we're trying to do even and how, how we're going to do it that's way, way in the future. But first, why? Right, Every line of code you write, you should be able to explain why it's necessary. And that's always been important. But it's even more important now that we have these endless tools and NPM packages uh, doing everything for us. And you have to ask yourself, do I need this tool? Why do I need it? Uh, what am I trying to solve here? If you do that... You focus on the problem, not the solution. And that's that's really, really important. That's probably the, the least talked about skill is in today's world where we're focused on the tools and the solutions so much. We forget that you uh, are solving a problem and it starts with the problem, not with the solution. So again, be married to the problem, not the solution. And that is it. I wanted to keep it under 20 minutes. From out in the woods with love. Thank you, my friends. Thanks for tuning in. Oh, I forgot to uh, to mention, I'm, I'm sipping on a little bit of uh, Aperol on ice. Uh, a little shout out to my good friend, Jason Decker. Come stai? Tutto bene? Uh, this Aperol on ice became a favorite drink of mine this, this past uh, six months. So, salute to you. Let me know what you think about this concept. Uh, I am on Instagram, at uh, Sign the Drunk Web. Uh, reach out to me. Uh, I would love some feedback. I would love to talk to you about this concept if you've gone through this before yourself. And, of course, um, sharing the podcast on uh, Spotify, iTunes, and all that good stuff. I would highly appreciate it if you shared it with your uh, nerdy, geeky friends such as myself. All right, my friends. Stay safe. And I hope these these times aren't taking a huge toll on you and on your family. Hope everybody's healthy. All right, until next time, this has been episode 43. Much love.